I recently asked my Facebook group, the Yoga Business Strategy Facebook group, if anyone has ever thought about leading a yoga or a wellness retreat. And the community exploded. (laughs) You all were like, yes, I absolutely want to do that. I've absolutely thought about it. Some of you mentioned that you've done it. It maybe didn't go so well. And so we are talking about it today on the podcast. Today, I'm bringing on a very special guest, Kim Liebowitz, who is a friend, a yoga teacher, a past client of one of our business programs. And Kim is an absolute veteran at leading amazingly transformational yoga retreats. She's been leading yoga retreats for over 11 years, and her last one had 33 people. And she is just an absolute gem of a person. In this podcast episode, she is imparting so much wisdom on any teacher who has ever thought about planning and leading a retreat, but just doesn't really know where to start, is nervous that no one's going to show up. And she's really demystifying the whole entire process. Something else to make sure that you keep in mind is that we are hosting a planning and hosting your first or next yoga retreat next Tuesday. So if you haven't signed up for that yet, go down to the show notes and make sure you grab your spot. That is a live workshop where we're, we're going to be going through the process of planning a retreat from start to finish. Okay. And so if the whole planning process, the numbers, all that stuff kind of scares you, make sure you sign up and make sure you show up because we are going to be doing some planning. All right, everyone, enjoy this podcast episode and go down to the show notes if you want to check out any of Kim's links. Thanks for having me, Meg. I'm so excited to dive into this topic. And I think, I don't know if you know this, but this is the first time I've ever talked about retreats on my podcast. Really? Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. It's such a great topic. It is. And it kind of comes up like here and there, but lately I think like moving into 2023, I've been getting so many questions about planning and hosting and like doing the start to finish running a yoga and or wellness retreat. And I thought what better person to bring on my podcast than Kim. Oh, thanks. Well, it's my passion. (laughs) I would do it 24 seven if I could. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your experience leading retreats when you started doing them, how long you've been doing them and where you've been leading them. Okay. So it's kind of interesting how I started. I, my family, the women in my family had gone to Canyon ranch in Tucson, Arizona for years. And they come back and they tell their tales and they tell, you know, tell us about how it changed their life. And I was 13, 14, 15 years old. And I just had this vision. I'm going to take people there one day. It was weird. I didn't even know what leading retreat meant. I, you know, yoga wasn't even in my, on my radar at that time, but um, I just knew that this was something, I don't know why, how, so anyway, fast forward to 2013, I was a couple of years older and um, I had, I just caught the bug again and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. So 
the 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 real reason well there are two reasons one was because i wanted to, i wanted people to experience these amazing results and experiences that my family had the women in my family but also i wanted to get there and as someone who at that time did not have a lot of cash i thought well if i lead a retreat then maybe i can go for free so you know, in all transparency, that was a big reason because I wanted to get there. And I knew the only way that I could get there was, um, you know, to lead a retreat. And I wasn't even worried about making money. I just really wanted to, you know, to be able to get a free trip. Yeah. So that's kind of how it all started. And when I look back, I think that's kind of funny. But um, I, at that time, I was teaching yoga at a studio here in Virginia. And I just started mentioning my idea to different people. And I had a pretty good following of students and they had, they would do any workshops that I presented or any sort of mini little retreats that I would do. I would do like these two or three hour wellness retreats, you know, in studio. And so I just started talking it up and I had six or seven people who were really interested. And so I kind of did everything backwards. I found six or seven people who committed. And then um, luckily my aunt and her best friend were travel agents. And that's how, you know, the, the whole Canyon Ranch thing sort of started in my family. So I called them and I said, okay, I want to do this. And um, they sort of walked me through, introduced me to the right people. And it happened. I, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> somehow we got there. So we had, um, the first group was six people. I had six people. And um, the night before one of them had kidney stones. So she ended up dumping out. So I ended up with five people actually showing up at the retreat. And uh, to this day, I call them my guinea pigs because it was just learning, you know, trial by fire, just sort of showing up and figuring out what to do. So that's kind of how it all started. So the first retreat was in 2013, so 11 years ago in Tucson, Arizona, at Canyon Ranch. And um, it was such a success for those five people that were there. And I'm not gonna take credit for you know a lot of it, but it was such a huge life-changing experience that all five of them came back. And my marketing was basically word of mouth. They talked it up so much behind my back. I didn't even know <laughs> that they were talking about it. All of a sudden, I'm getting flooded with calls and emails and texts, and people are just wanting to give me money. We, you know, we got to go next year. We got to go next year. So we started with five. The next year, we we're up to 15. Then we we're up to 20. And then we kind of hovered for seven or eight years between 20, 25. And then this past year, I had 30, 33 people registered oh and took their, and 33 people went um, on that trip. So that's sort of my signature trip. And I learned a lot about retreat planning, the do's, the don'ts, the good, bad, and ugly from that um, Arizona retreat. And, and so over the last 11 years, I've branched out. So I've gone, um, taken obviously every year to um, people to Arizona. Um, for several years, we did Utah, which is an amazing trip. Um, and then the pandemic hit. So we haven't been back there, but hoping, hoping to do that soon. Pennsylvania, there's another Canyon Ranch. Uh, um, I'm sorry, Pennsylvania is, um, yeah, different resort. And then Massachusetts, there's another Canyon Ranch in Massachusetts. 
uh, lots of different retreats around Virginia and the DC metro area. And then of course, when the pandemic hit, virtual retreats. So there's no limit. You can really do whatever you want. So that's the exciting thing about retreats. Oh my gosh. That's such a cool origin story. Like I really love that. (laughs) I think a lot of us feel like we have to host a retreat. And I've actually never heard that story for any of my listeners. I've like worked with Kim, known Kim for a while. I didn't know that story. I mean, I didn't know that you like had a very special connection to Arizona. Um, A lot of us, I think, think we need to do what everyone else is doing. And that's like a theme that I see in all around business, but everyone's like, well, I'm going to do a yoga retreat. I guess it has to be to Costa Rica or Mexico, but I really think it's important, especially for the first couple to to go to a place that you feel very connected to, not necessarily like comfortable because it doesn't have to be a place that you've been before, but a place that you feel very connected to. Um, I think maybe that's like how the magic happens. And I want to talk a little bit about that magic. I want to talk about that first retreat and then like all the retreats that you've had afterwards. What is so magical for the students coming onto a retreat? Like, what do you, what do you think is so transformational about it? I think there are a couple of things. I think the biggest and most important thing, if you're thinking about leading a retreat, is, is that you are the magic maker, that you as the host are responsible for that. And, and that's it. For me, I'm transformed. Like I can be insecure and I can, you know, have all the, the self-doubt and, and imposter syndrome that we all have, right? But I got to tell you, when I'm leading these retreats, there is none of that, not one bit. Um, so it's like I'm transforming into my superpower or something. But um, basically, it's it. The magic is that you are there to make the people that are joining you feel really special, and that they can transform because everybody wants to improve. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. Everybody wants to improve in some sort of way. So I think my, I think my whole goal is to have people transform and feel like they have changed their life in some way. And that sounds so dramatic, but it, it happens. Oh, it happens. I don't think that's dramatic. I think that happens every day yeah. on the mat. It, it absolutely. But this is even, I mean, that it is bumped up to the point, and this is crazy to me. Um, <laughs> I have people who have been on this one Arizona retreat. So I've been doing it for 11 years. Um, some people have been doing going for about nine years, right? And it is expensive. It is really expensive. And some of those people, you know, money's no object, but for several, they save all year. They save and work really hard because typically they wouldn't spend that money on this type of, you know, this type of luxury, I guess you would say, but they do because it's life-changing every year. And and so the other thing that I try to do with my retreats is meet people where they are. What do they need right now? And help them kind of transform in that space at that time, if that makes sense. Um, so somebody would will come on a retreat every year, attend a retreat every year, but they need something different every time. And so to keep them coming and keep them excited, um, it's figuring out you know, what, what's your goal? What's your intention for this, this retreat? And then helping them, you know, meet that. And some of my retreats are pretty all-inclusive. Um, and I, that's another secret weapon 
if you go somewhere that already has a lot of activities that offers, you know, all the food you can eat, unlimited food, um, the accommodations, you know, transportation to and from, you know, from the airport or from the train station, that makes your job so much easier. So all I have to do, I do a lot of work setting everything up, but when I get there, I am there for my people and I teach. And, you know, the resort or the hotel or whatever, wherever I am sort of does the rest. That's the way that I found works best for me to set up my retreats. Now I have done retreats where I have done everything, where I've rented a space, a house or a hotel, um, you know, like a, a, a ballroom. But for me, um, I'm too detail oriented and too much of a perfectionist. And then I really can't just be there for my people. I'm too concerned about the details. So for me, I love these places that I've found that are fairly all-inclusive and do have additional activities, you know, that aren't yoga, that, that I don't have to be responsible for. And that gives you a break as the host as well. Um, something that I always like to think about is like, you have to be on the whole time you're leading a retreat. Mm -hmm. So either having someone like co-lead with you or having a place that's going to like take care of the food, provide some other activities, like gives you a little bit of a break from, from doing it all. You're so right. That's so that's spot on because, um, you do have to be on the whole entire time. And I had to learn how to do that, but, and also enjoy my time mm-hmm. because in the beginning, I, I just became the, the, the retreat leader and I wasn't a, a human being enjoying the experience. And so you kind of have to figure out how to balance that because you're not going to be any good for your you know, people that are joining you if you're not your best self and if you're not rested and if you're not calm and, and really enjoying every minute. So that's, that is, that's the key. Definitely. And something else that, um, that was just so profound and just, again, all these accidents sort of, they're not really accidents, but all these, these unexpected, beautiful things happen on these retreats. Um, I had a, a friend who just kept saying, I'm really not interested in the heat of Arizona but I would love to go to Utah and, and we would just talk and we, you know, have these great conversations about how nice it would be. Um, and then uh, one of my yoga students said she had just got returned from Utah and she stumbled upon this place, this resort there called Red Mountain Resort. And she thought I should check it out for my retreats. So um, long and short, I did, I put together a treat. This person who had mentioned it um, got, four or five of her friends who wanted to go. And um, the beauty of that retreat was that I had all these people who loved yoga and loved the outdoors. I had a couple who had never hiked before and they were really intimidated. And they almost didn't go because they knew that if they were in Utah, they had to hike. Well, this resort is known for taking people where, meeting them where they are and introducing them to the outdoors and to hiking. And these couple people who are so nervous are now the biggest hikers and they go all over the country. 
it, it's, you know, those are the kind of things really, that you just can't even imagine, right? They're going to happen. It's magical. And like, even thinking of the retreats that I've been on, I feel like I've come out of those with like new habits, new mindsets, like new ways of, of thinking. And I think it has something to do with like being away mm-hmm. and like almost like being with strangers, even if like, you're not a stranger to everyone, but there's something about being away with like friends and family. And then there's something about being on a retreat. It's different. Yeah, it, it's kind of magic. It is magic. It is. It is. Cause I've seen people transform and I've seen, um, I've seen 70, 80 year olds. Uh, I'm thinking about this group of women who came on the, the second or third Utah retreat together. And they said, Oh, we're just going to take walks around the property in the morning, but they just completely transformed. One of them couldn't walk really well, but when she got there, she wasn't limping. I mean, it was, it was strange almost. Right. But they all ended up hiking and we were cheering them on. And they just, to this day, when they talk about the experience, you know, their faces light up and, and they're just so proud of themselves. And so, yeah, I just think you get in the environment and you feel like you can do anything. Like there aren't limits. Yeah. That's so inspirational. And you mentioned a lot of like, I want to talk about do's and don'ts of planning and of hosting. One of the do's I think that we talked about that we can touch on a little more is like setting yourself up for success in terms of not having to get there and do everything yourself. Can you talk about like some don'ts or like some like big challenges you faced in the past when you like go to sit down and plan your retreats? Yes. Um, I think you have to sit down and really be honest about who you are and what you can handle and how, and just how you, how you follow through on things. Because one of the biggest things that I did in the beginning, and this is before the big Arizona, you know, aha moments, um, you know, when I took, took people out there before that I would plan these weekend retreats that were fairly local and I just threw everything but the kitchen sink in there. Like I just made it, I wanted to make sure people got value. So I made it really difficult for myself and also for, for, you know, my retreat goers to kind of keep up with everything. So one of the biggest don'ts is don't make it too, don't make it too much. Keep it simple. Keep it very um, streamlined and definitely make sure that you've got an outline. Let people know what to expect. Uh, that's a that's a biggie because I would just get so excited and I would throw in a bonus this or I would you know do something extra and then I couldn't keep track of what was going on and they felt like they had to show up to everything and they were exhausted. Don't overplan too because people need downtime. They need downtime and I laugh when I say that because I used to not honor that at all in my retreats. And I think that if, if anybody had um, any feedback, it would be, can we have a little more downtime? So just keep that in mind. You don't have to plan every minute. So that's big. I, I like, I almost think of it as like new teachers in studios um, when they feel like they have to fill all this, they talk the entire class. Cause they feel like they yeah. need to fill all the space. It's almost like an, like a nervous tick. They're like, people paid to be here. I have to talk through the whole thing because silence can be really like scary, but 
the downtime is so important. And also like maybe structured downtime where it's like, here's a list of things that you can do during, you know, that like might be fun during downtime or, you know, anything like that, or like things to explore. But, um, yeah, I think like finding that balance because I Kim, I can think of like, I can totally think of teachers who would over plan. I also can think of teachers that would under plan. Like exactly. <laughs> just like anything else. Well, what do you think for like a daily agenda for a retreat? How many activities do you usually have? Well, it depends on the type of retreat. So again, if it's if it's a Canyon Ranch or Red Mountain Resort, they have so much. And so, you know what? That's up to the individual person. They can do as much of that as they want. As far as um, planning like yoga classes or meditation time or, you know, cacao circles or anything like that, um, my go-to rule of thumb is usually two events per day. So maybe morning and evening and those, it can shift, you know, maybe one day it would be like a lunchtime thing and then, um, you know, a full moon meditation or something late in the evening. Um, But my rule of thumb that works for me is two yoga or meditation or mindful activities a day. And, you know, and then maybe I'll fill in with other activities if, if we're not at a place that already has those, um, you know, maybe there would be an optional hike or maybe there would be optional, uh, optional journaling session or, you know, something like that. But uh, as you mentioned, you, you know, yoga teachers who will over plan and others who will under plan, the people that join you on your retreats are going to be the same way. Some need to be the energizer bunny and they need to go all the time. So you want to have enough for them. Um, but then there are other people who, you know, one or two activities a day is just fine. And so they need to have that opportunity to have the downtime. So that's what I found is um, really sort of a morning and evening or morning and afternoon um, organized session. And then some optional things going through the throughout the day, like, hey, a bunch of us are going to do this join or not. Maybe you need some alone time, or maybe you just want to go take your own walk or sit and journal. So that's kind of become my rule of thumb. I like that. And um, another don't is don't bite off more than you can chew. I accidentally had a very easy start with the, you know, with the Arizona retreat the retreats before that, the local retreats, um, I just tried to get as many people as I could. And I tried to make it as big as I could. And when you're starting out, you need to, you need to see how you're going to do, you need to sort of audition yourself, you know? So don't worry about making a lot of money. The first retreat, just worry about making it the best experience for the people that are joining you, whether that's five or eight, um, try not to go too big. I would say more than 10 for a first retreat. And that's even, I would say eight's a good number. Mm -hmm. If your goal could be eight, then you can really have control over each person, what they need. And then um, also in the planning and execution process. And I know Meg, you're doing um, a workshop on this next week, which is amazing. It's so needed, but you have to figure out your systems. You have to figure out how is everything going to flow? 
And that's huge. And I don't think enough um, teachers think about that when they're thinking about planning retreats, but you have to have all your systems in place. I love spreadsheets just like you. I am completely into it. And I get so excited when I get a new, when I get somebody registering, I'm excited because they registered, but I'm also excited because I get to go through my whole process and, yeah. you know, fill in the blanks. And I love that. So start small, do, do sort of a, you know, a test retreat. And even if you invite friends and you don't charge them or you just charge them to cover your costs, depending on where you're going and what your costs happen to be, but just to test it out and then get feedback. And I think that that is, that's such a great way to start. So don't, don't just dive in and decide you're going to do this huge retreat in Costa Rica um, if you've never, never led retreats before. So that would be a big don't. <laughs> I also think that takes the pressure off of people who are like, I'm worried I'm not going to get enough signups because when I asked my Facebook group, like, have you ever thought about doing a retreat? Why haven't you done it? A lot of people said, number one, I would have no idea how to plan it. Number two, I'd be nervous that I wouldn't get enough people signed up. But what if for that first retreat, we could set it up to be small, you know, and that's a big thing that I've seen with clients or even like studios in my local area where, um, they've kind of come up with an idea and then they just roll with it. And they're like, okay, this seems like a, like a decent price for this type of retreat. Boom. Let's put it out and just hope that we make money on it. Um, but instead like actually sitting down, which is what we're going to do in this workshop, actually sitting down and being like, okay, how many people and at what price do I need to get enrolled to at least just cover the cost, like to break even kind of like you said, for your first retreat to just like get to go there for free. Yeah. Like, are all the expenses going to be, how many people do I need to get signed up? Cool. Maybe it's like three or four people. And then like anything above that is just like, profit, or maybe you can like hire another teacher to come with you and pay them a little something or something like that. But like actually sitting down and planning that, which I think will make people nervous at first. I know a lot of my listeners are like, ah, spreadsheets. That sounds really yeah. scary. It actually makes you feel better. Cause like you said, when that first person signs up you can go into your spreadsheet and be like, okay, this person signed up at this rate. And like, it just, it makes the planning. It's so necessary. If you're going to put together some, as big of an event as a retreat, I think it's important to get into the practice of doing some finance. It's essentially financial planning. Yes. And if you really are not good at that and that just scares you and stops you in your tracks, maybe leading a full-blown retreat isn't for you or find a partner, find someone who is good at that. And you can, you know, you can share your skills. If you're a great yoga teacher and you've got great ideas for themes and content, then you take charge of that and have somebody else be sort of the back end, the bit more business person. Uh, because if you don't feel like you can stay on top of the planning and execution, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. It is going to be it's not going to be good. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. The other thing that I would say is build in once you're, once you're really rolling, like that first retreat could be just a test, but once you're rolling, you are doing this to make money. So build in enough profit. And I have definitely fallen victim to that idea of, oh, well, nobody's going to pay that amount or who can afford that. If I add an extra hundred dollars per person, 
the people will, they will pay it. If it's quality, if they're getting something wonderful, they will pay it. So don't sell yourself short and don't cut yourself short because you are doing this to make money. Um, at least I think most people are. Some people might just be doing it for the free trip, which is what I did for a while. Um, but just, yeah, really look at the bottom line and, and add enough so that there is profit. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I wouldn't recommend anyone doing it for no profit because you're also, you know, in theory, like taking time off of work or taking time away from your family or doing things. So at least being like compensated for that is really important. And kind of like what you said, I I really like what you said at the beginning of like, if you're gonna, if you feel like, okay, I'm booking out a place for that can hold 10 people, but I, I, I'm going to get honest with myself. I think I'll get probably like five or six price that accordingly. Like, yeah, like you said, maybe bring a couple friends along, have them pay for their accommodation and their food. Um, and then enroll four or five people at the retreat price, you know, or like you said, eight was that sweet spot. So maybe like a couple of people and then run the retreat and like make it this amazing transformational experience that people will like on your first retreat, go and tell their friends about. That's it. Exactly. You're so you're covering some marketing costs, right? Um, but there is nothing in the world like, like referrals and like positive feedback and just stories when people just tell their stories and, and they, they just can't stop talking about the retreat and people are just jumping on it. And that it was, it, I I just can't even describe that feeling of walking into the yoga studio the week after that first retreat with the five people and, and everyone was just flocking me. They were just like coming up and gathering around and talking a mile a minute. We heard from so-and-so and and we heard this and we heard that. And you know how how weight loss is such a, you know, big, big thing. Um, It was never mentioned. It wasn't any, you know, anything that we were focusing on the retreat but one couple came back and, and in a week had lost a good amount of weight and people were asking them like, what happened? What, what, what did you do? What happened? So they started, they started, they started talking about how, well, did you know that if you eat this kind of ice cream, instead of that kind of ice cream, it's healthier and you can, you know, it's much less calories, you lose weight. And if you eat this way, and if you, you know, cook this way. And so all you have to do is just get eight people into the space, give them the most amazing, the most amazing retreat, the most amazing experiences that they've had. And you know, that you are going to, you're going to build your retreat business so quickly. I mean, I've seen it happen and, and that's really, that's really the way to start. If you're, if you're a new teacher or you're not a new teacher, but new to retreats, I would say, or both. Um, yeah, just start really small, dip your toe in the water, and just know that you can grow pretty quickly if you do it right from the beginning. So you'd rather do it small and really well the first one or two retreats, knowing that you know eventually it's going to be exactly what you envision. Yeah. Kim, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing all your wisdom. I'm definitely going to have to have you come on and talk more about all these topics, but thank you for giving us like so much of your time and so many good ideas to think about. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for, you know, I could talk about this forever. So thanks for allowing me to do that. (laughs) 